We're in Proverbs 5. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it so you can see what God's Word says. We've been going through Proverbs slowly, and we're in 5. I'm going to set a timer this week for an hour and 20 minutes. So it doesn't really matter. Not really. Anyway, let me pray and see what God will do. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your greatness. That's really loud. But uh, Lord, you can hear our quietest prayer and even the loudest prayer. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, without you leading us, without you coming and opening our hearts, Without you speaking through me, Lord, I am a, a clanging gong and a noisy cymbal. Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to ruin anything that you're saying. So we ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us, that you'd speak to us. Lord, uh, the things that you've shown me uh, about your word, give me wisdom in how to say that. Um, I just pray uh, again for your filling, Lord. Do a great work. Lord, let your word be fruitful in our lives, that it would preserve us and keep us and glorify your name. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read portions, and then we'll kind of talk about that and see what, what the Lord has to say. So I'm going to start at verses 1 and 2, this kind of introduction. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. So I want to look at that. He starts off. Now, this is Solomon. If you guys aren't uh, familiar with Proverbs, you're new to this, this is Solomon, who's King David's son in, in Israel. Uh, lived thousands of years ago. He was, one, he was the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, the word says that he was also the, the wealthiest man who ever lived. And so he's given us some wisdom. He's speaking to his son. We don't know who this son is. To our knowledge, we only have one son listed, Rehoboam, uh, who became king and made some foolish decisions pretty much, um, I think it was day three, made a foolish decision and the kingdom split under him and he got left with just a small fraction so he's trying to get attention to his son. He's giving him a warning. And this, in light of, of where we're at in America, um, just a few weeks ago, a lot of you guys know, uh, Lahaina, Maui, Hawaii burned down. There's these forest fires, wildfires going through the, the, the island, uh, killed over 100 people. So a lot of those people had no warning. And, and without warning... They perished. And some people who had warning uh, were able to, to get out um, and, and live. So a week ago in Southern California, there was a hurricane that came up on the coast, first time in, in I believe, any of our lifetime that a hurricane hit the Pacific coast. So it's something that they weren't used to, um, but they were given warning. Some people took notice, some people got on their surfboards and waited for hurricane waves. 
But there was notice, there was warning. People paid attention. Solomon is giving us, by way of his son, warning about a threat that affects more people than all the wildfires together, all of the hurricanes that have ever happened. It's adultery. So that's what Solomon is going to be talking about, and he's going to be looking at in this chapter, is primarily adultery in that facet. So we're going to read verses 3 through 6 and see what he begins to say. It says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, she does not know it. Some of your translations may say the strange wood woman, the forbidden woman. Verse 3, it kind of answers the why to verses 1 and 2. Why should we give discretion? Why should we give understanding? Why should we pay attention to what Solomon is saying? Well, because there is a woman, this is the strange woman, the forbidden woman, who is wanting to bring you to death. That's what Solomon is saying. He's mentioned this in chapter 2. He said it briefly. He gives him instruction. He says, so again, so that you will be delivered from the adulteress with her smooth words. So the idea is, is we, not to be mistaken, Solomon is not saying that women are evil. He's not saying that women are immoral or that women are forbidden. He's talking about a specific kind of woman. This is someone other than the man's wife. So this could be a lot of people. Sometimes it says a foreigner. But this is someone who, who is not his wife. It's the woman who uses her assets to get what she wants. And she will, in a sense, eat up and swallow men for her pleasure. So again, he's not saying that there are only immoral women. He's also not saying that it's women. He's not dressing and saying, okay, look, I want you to watch out for women because they are the root of all evil. That's not what he's saying. Previously, he's addressed immoral men. And he said, hey, you need to watch out for these guys. These guys are here and they will destroy you and they will kill you. He's also going to bring that back up as we continue through Proverbs. So it isn't, please, please understand, it isn't something against women. There's a couple of things that I want to look at in verse 3. This idea where it says, her lips uh, drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. So oil is something that we see in Scripture. It represents something that's pleasant, something that's delight. In Deuteronomy, uh, it, it represents prosperity. So he says her lips are smoother than oil, uh, or her speech is sweet. These things... Are, are very nice, they're very attractive. But the reality is, she's bitter as wormwood. Right? She's not sweet, she's bitter. She's not smooth, it says she's sharp. She's like a double-edged sword. As it were, pain and destruction. This is what, what she brings. So there's a contrast of, of truth and reality, or contrast of what she's saying, what she's demonstrating, in reality. 
And that's, again, she's promising sweetness and smoothness, but the reality is that there's sharpness and deceit. So it's a false perception of reality, right? We see this called fake news, misinformation. We, our society deals with this on a daily basis. Someone says something, someone says something else. Who are we going to believe? Number one, we need to look at God's word and find out what he says. Let's find out what he says about it, and then we can make a much better informed decision. Solomon makes another one of these, um, if you might say an idiom or just this, this false perception. And, and Proverbs 9 says, stolen water is sweet. Right? And it's the idea that when we're stealing, there's, there's a gratification that, that goes way a bit beyond the, the reality of the situation. Water is not sweet. Water is water. If it's sweet, it's something else. Right? But when we're sinning, it's like that. So it's this, this false reality, right? You might say, don't judge a book by its cover. Things aren't always as they appear, right? This false reality. Looks aren't everything. Solomon is saying, pay attention because there's danger. These are lies being thrust at you. Secondly, looking at the smooth tongue, I want to, to notice, again, he... he he mentioned chapter 2 about the same thing. The, the, it says wayward or the, the immoral woman flatters with her lips. So there's this idea of flattery coming from this woman. Um, he'll say it again in, in chapter 6, the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So I want to glean something. We kinda, I tried to mention it, but men like flattery. This woman knows this. And so we are somewhat, men as a whole, we're somewhat dim-witted and easily won by things women say. Solomon continues his thought that a person says things, they have the power to build up or to destroy. This idea of flatter. The, the immoral woman uses it to destroy and to lead to death. Wives, godly women, can use flattery kind, genuine words to build up and respect their husbands. This is, is power that women have. We can encourage people. We can destroy. So, you know, wives, tell, tell your husband he looks good in the clothes he dressed himself with because he likes to hear that. No, I'm not saying that we should be lying. I look, I, I just, my wife, notice anyone? This is the first time we dress similar. I get cookie when I get home. Anyway, when we tear down people because of our anti-coordination skills, we tell them how we excel in our falsehoods. We should build up people. Right? And so I'm directing this at women for this moment because this is the idea that Solomon is saying. Look, flattery... And these kind of speech can sway people. It can move people. I think of that Geico commercial with Abe Lincoln when his wife says, does this dress make my rear look big? And honest Abe 
a little. We've got to think of ways to flatter without hurting. Encourage. Because there is a woman who is using this to destroy and is more than happy to lead men astray. Um, so it's also worth noting that the immoral woman is not bearing the blame for men falling into sinful behavior. That's not what Solomon is saying. He's not pointing, a peach, pick, pointing the finger at an immoral woman saying, you are destroying everybody. That's not what he's saying. Right? I don't know if you remember, think about it, David and Bathsheba. These are the parents of Solomon. Right? So Bathsheba was the immoral woman in their initial uh, encounter. But who sinned? David sinned. The, the sin fell on David. It was his decision. He was the one who bore that responsibility. So again, we're not blaming women. Solomon is not doing that. Please don't, don't misunderstand that. We all have the responsibility to guard ourselves from the immoral woman. Okay, so Solomon is warning us, right? In this particular passage, he's warning us to guard ourselves. So thirdly, the thing I want to glean, which is somewhat to the flattery, but it it goes for, for both of us, for men and women. So women have that idea of flattery, but, but very similarly, us men, we have the same thing. We can say things that are going to hurt or build up people. Right? He'll say later in Proverbs 18, he says that the, the tongue can break a, a man or it brings life or death. He says in the same chapter, he says man can can really stand up when their bones are broken. But, but when their spirit is broken, who can stand under that? So we have the power, and this is something we're gleaning from this. Again, Solomon is warning us against the, 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 you know, the immoral woman, but words matter. Sticks and stones may break my bones but they really hurt us. That's what he's saying, and we need to be careful about that. So these are things that we can see. Verses 5 and 6, he continues. We look at further unseen realities, right? We, don't, we see the woman, she's dripping she, with honey and oil. She's a liar. These things aren't true. It says that her feet go down to death. Two words that Solomon brings up in this passage. He says, her feet go down to death. She's, she's messing around with Sheol. Two words for hell. Think about it. It's not like, well, yeah, it's kind of bad. You see, this is really bad. Her feet go down to death or hell. It's the realm of the dead. Sheol is the underworld. It's where the wicked go. It says, without praise of God. This is where this woman is leading us, through the adultery. If we're, if we're entertaining these things, it's death. And then it says that she doesn't know her ways. The New King James says, you cannot know her ways. So it's a further deceit. Right? She doesn't realize 
the harmful effects and that she's having, these, these desires, these manipulations are having, and you don't know, me, us, we don't really see what, we don't understand this. And we listen to it. I mean, I'm, you see this all the time. Women flatter men, and they're like, oh, eh, really, you think so? You like my dress? My gut doesn't stick out too far? Oh, no, it's your great shape. It's like, these things, are, it's crock baloney And yet men are like, <laughs> okay. We can be fools. Solomon is warning, be careful. She doesn't know what she's doing. Grant, some people know. But we also remember, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So when people who aren't, don't know Jesus, they, they think they're doing good. Proverbs says, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. All the ways of men. I remember hearing of people in prison. It's like, well, yeah, I killed someone, but he deserved it. I'm righteous. I'm good. I, I got caught, but he deserved to die, so I did it. We all think what we do is righteous. God's word tells us the truth about what is righteous and what is not. We don't listen. We can't listen <clears throat> to society. We can't listen to the news. We can't listen to all these other things to tell us what is righteous and what is wrong. God's word tells us and helps us to see and interpret what we're hearing. So, these women are not without excuse. And there's men, too, who are doing the same thing. They're not without excuse. But again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. It's a, it's a satanic force that's coming against us. Let's read verses 7 through 14. Further ruin from the immoral woman. It says, And now, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. So this is an emphatic plea to listen to his warning. He says, keep your way from her and do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life you groan like a wave of the ocean is the idea. When your flesh and body are consumed, when you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructions. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So we see further ruin of this adulterous woman, this immoral woman that is looking to lead us astray. Far and near, this is the idea in verse 8. Stay far, right? He says, don't go near. This is, is Solomon's highlighter. Joe mentioned that last week. He didn't have a highlighter. He didn't have a bold. But he's saying, look, listen. Stay, stay far away. Don't go near this. This is the posture we should have with this kind of temptation. Don't flirt with it. It says, don't go near the door of her house. Don't play with temptation. Run away. Make like Joseph, right? Even to his own demise. Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lusts. However, I want you to really think about this. 
This is the posture we should take with all temptation. We should be fleeing. We shouldn't be trying to stand up and, oh, I'm strong enough. I can do this. We need to protect ourselves. Jesus said, if, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. Take it seriously. He's not speaking just about adultery. He's speaking about sin in our life. I, I heard a story back some time ago of a man struggling with his weight and eating. And he's thinking, oh, boy, I really want a donut. This is not me, by the way. Well, no, I, I love donuts, but that's not me. He says, if God wants me to stop at the donut shop, he'll give me a parking spot right up in the front. And praise God, wouldn't you know it, fifth time around the block, there was a spot. And you catch the joke, and it's like, man, we can do that with sin. Oh, I don't know, here comes a girl. Man, if she likes chicken, I'm going to know she's from God. Who doesn't like chicken? I guess there might be a couple people, but you might say if she breathes air. I know she's from God. We all breathe. We have to. We can't make these tests with God. We need to flee sin and temptation and stay away. Stay far from her. Not just physically. Right? We live in a day of pornography. It's, it's rampant. It's disastrous. Consciously, emotionally, we can't give thought to her mentally or pornographically. The word for porno is the same word that we use for uh, sexually immoral. It, the fornication, pornea, we, we get the same root here. So it's saying we need to stay away. Don't entertain this. Solomon is saying... Do what it takes to get away from sin. Quit cold turkey. Get rid of your phone. Quit your job. Right? Joseph ran away naked. He was lied about and ended up in prison. But he did what it took to make sure he didn't go into sin. And I know sometimes for myself, and it uh, it's okay. I can have another piece or six. And it's like, no, there, there are things we have to say no to sin. Not just sexually, sexual sin, but particularly sexual sin. This is leading to death. I don't know if you've ever thought sex was made for marriage. Was not made for outside of marriage. I've got a fan at home. I don't have AC or I got little box units, but we rely on the fan. If I use the fan to cut fruit, I'm going to have a mess because it's not intended for that. If I try and cook food on my car's engine, again, a smelly, nasty, dirty mess. That's what sex is outside of marriage. It's not what God has for us. Take measures to preserve your life. I want you to think again that the, those people in Maui who, who lived, I can imagine 
if the fire had come upon them, and it's like, we have to go now. And they're like, no, nah, I want to lock the door first. I want to go check and make sure everything's in order. Man, I can imagine there were a number of people who ran as fast as they could. I heard some people run, jumped in the ocean. There was nowhere to go. And it's like, man, they, they well, we can't, I don't want to get wet. These are my nice clothes. What about my phone? They did what they needed to preserve their life. That's what Solomon is saying to his son and to us. Again, it isn't just sexual immorality. It's about our life. It's about all sin. Sin will destroy you. In verses 9 through 11, he kind of goes through a list. We can see a list here. He says, this is the cost of falling prey to an immoral woman. In verse 9, he says, the loss of honor. You're going to lose your honor by doing this. In 9, he says, the loss of years. And there's the idea, I mean, when you work for a long time, particularly in your marriage, and, and then you go and sleep it away, you have lost that time. You'll never get that back. Loss of strength in verse 10. Loss of labors. Loss of health. And loss of peace. This is destruction. This is death. Right? While we're still here living on earth, this is death and destruction. You know, he goes on just lightly. Verse 12 is going to tell us, he has a loss of security. He has regret. Why didn't I listen to my instructors? Why didn't I pay attention to what they said? I should have. It's kind of a hypothetical way that he's answering. And then in verse 14, there's a loss of integrity. And really what it is is public shame. He says that before the congregation. Think of it, David. King David had to acknowledge this before the congregation. He tried to hide it, and he thought he did a really good job until God brought it right up in his face and said, what you've done is evil. This is wrong, and, and you can't let this go. He has this little awakening, self-awareness, a little late. I should have paid attention. So there's more fake news. He says, I hated instruction, particularly for, for you teenagers. Pay attention. There's this amazing thing that happens to teenagers somewhere around 12. I know that's not a teenager, because it was 13 to 12. Parents, adults, become stupid. And it lasts until you're about 21. And then somehow at 21, 22, all of a sudden, your parents' brain has returned. The reality is it isn't your parents. It's an attitude that young people have. Solomon is warning, don't hate instruction. It's another lie that, that our culture keeps propagating, right? Parents are stupid. 
Our teachers are idiots. I don't how many cartoons that I've seen. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to name any. Many cartoons where the parents are just imbeciles. And the kids are super geniuses. Like, where'd you get the money to buy that? You, there's no way. It's a lie. This is something that um, Satan wants us. He wants to destroy the family. He wants to destroy the elders, the respect of God's word and God's law, of who he is, how I've hated instruction. Right? We can't do that. We need to listen. We need to pay attention, you guys. Pay attention to what God's word is saying. And we also, as adults, it's not like we're immune to this. We were talking earlier today, man, how we learn things. I'm 52, I'm still learning things. Some things that you're like, even you teenagers might be, oh yeah, I knew that. <laughs> I just learned it. Still learning things. He goes on, verse 15 through 19. He says, drink water. Let me tell you what he's saying here. I'm going to read this. What he's saying is, enjoy your wife sexually and physically. That's what he's saying. Let me read it, 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. <laughs> we said breasts at church. Solomon is giving an allegory about having sex with your wife. He uses water to describe healthy relationship with your wife. And in the Song of Solomon, he uses this, again, uh, the water, it's synonymous with sexual desires. That's what he's talking about when he mentions the fountain and the springs. These are the sexual desires, the sexual attitude and things going on is, is for your wife. Which according to Genesis 2, so God's word, he says a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. In our day and age, this is another lie, misinformation that people are saying, oh no, marriage can be between whoever. Two women, two men. And that's getting worse. It's like through two its and two theys and whatnot. God is clear about his word. Guess what? God invented marriage. The United States of America did not invite, in, invent marriage. They have corrupted marriage. They've polluted it. But God invented marriage. He invented it for a man in a woman. So, like I said, he was using this, this analogy, verse 15, he's calling to be faithful. Stay with what you have. Drink water from your own cistern, 
you don't know what a cistern is, we don't really use those today. It, it would be a hole in the rock or a niche that they would have carved out so that when it rains, the water would fill up and then they would have water. Or it would be like a well that they could get water from. That's what it means by cistern. It says, fulfill your sexual desires from your wife. And there's much more than physical pleasure that comes from a spouse. There's intimacy. There's vulnerability. There's openness and love. Commitment and trust. These things are not an affair. They're not an adulterous relationship. The relationship with a wife is healthy and solid. And it needs to be. In 16, he says, not trying to satisfy them abroad. Don't let your streams be out in the street. Don't be going out and looking for others. I, I'm reminded, I don't know if you heard this 80-20 rule. I heard it first from Tyler Perry. I don't know if he invented it or if he stole it from someone else, but I'm going to steal it from him. He says that when you're married, your wife at the best is an 80. Like she's not going any higher than an 80 in the scope of like, you know, perfect woman. Say an 8. Could be 8 and 2 rule. There are no perfect women. You're not going to find 100. So what these men were doing is they would go and they would find an adulterous Woman, she's that other 20 that now you think, when you have your wife, oh, now there's 100, right? 80 plus 20. And he says, but what happens is, your wife, you, you can't stay in this relationship. Your wife is going to find out. You're going to lose your wife. And the most that you're going to be stuck, stuck with you're going to lose this 80, and you're going to have a lousy 20. So you went from an 80 to a 20 in your relationship, and now you got alimony. So what, what he's saying, again, this is the, I don't know if Tyler Perry's a believer or not, but what he's saying, man, is adulterous relationships don't pay out. This is going to destroy you, and it's going to kill you. This is what Solomon is saying. Verse 17, he said, let your sexual desires be your own and not for strangers. There's an idea of private, not public, not going out and, and having children all over. Just for your wife, staying with her, nothing else. Be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Warren Wiersbe said, the adulterer watches the river turn into a sewer, but the faithful husband sees the water become wine. So again, with that idea of the water, it is healthy, it is fruitful when we keep it in the right place. Don't let your streams be scattered abroad. There's no such thing as safe sex because there's no such thing as safe sin. Whenever we do this, it is sin. Sin is harmful, it's hurtful, and it's going to kill us. So even Nehemiah, we read a little bit, chapter 8 today, but he's telling, Nehemiah is warning the people of Israel who had returned to Jerusalem, 
who had taken foreign wives. And he warns them about this adultery. He says, don't you know what Solomon did? He was the king. There's nobody like him. He was loved of God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, these pagan women caused him, even him, to sin. So Nehemiah is trying to keep them close to God. Get rid of these women, these sin that's going to distract us from God. Verse 19, he says, Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be intoxicated with her love. This may be a shock to the church, but God made sex fun. It's not just simply for reproductive purposes. It's fun, and it's love. God loves marriage because marriage is the closest relationship on earth demonstrating God's relationship with man. There's an intimacy, not sexual Right? The angels, Jesus said, there's, there's no sex in heaven. It's not going to be like you think here. But there's that oneness, that openness, a wholeheartedly giving to another completely and freely, willingly. So Solomon closes his chapter in verse 20. He says, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. So 20 asks this question, why? Why should we do this? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Why should we give ourselves to adultery? And the response is an anticipatory negative response. Should we embrace the wife of, or the bosom of another? No. Should we be going out and spreading our streams? No. Why? He says it in 21 through 23. He answers this question. One, God sees. God is, is watching what we're doing. He's holding us accountable. David didn't repent of sinning against Bathsheba. He repented of sinning against God. Right? He sinned against God. God knows what we're doing. So even those things that I think, I can't hide from God. We, we have to, to be free of that, even in our minds. He says... The iniquities of the wicked are like a trap. So again, there's that idea of that deceit. We, we see or we hear of certain things, and we think, oh, that would be really great. But, but they're lies. The world is lying to us all the time, trying to trap us. And then death comes from a lack of discipline. Right? We read in Proverbs 3, it says, don't despise the Lord's discipline. He, he loves those he disciplines. So when we are disciplined, we should be happy. Rejoice that we are loved. So what do we do with this? In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her 
in his heart. So obviously we're not to be committing adultery, but in reality, almost every man, or every man, I, I don't know, but has looked lustfully at some point. Right? We're, we're all guilty of sin. The world says you, you can look, but you can't touch. Of course, that's, they said at one point, I think now it, it seems like, uh, you can look, touch, just don't get caught. Then if you get caught, well, then, then there's a problem. We keep trying to throw off sin. Thinking, looking, touching, all of that. Just our minds. We have sinned against God. And all sin leads to death. We see that adultery leads to death. A lie leads to death. Taking things from work. Not believing God's promises or His word is sin. Right, for Adam, the first man, what did he do? He ate a piece of fruit. Think of that. He didn't kill anyone. He didn't rob, steal, cheat. He ate fruit. And that was sin. And he died because of that. There was death because of the sin. All sin brings death. Then there's spiritual adultery. Right, Israel was accused of this by God, or this was brought up against them. When we worship an idol instead of the living God, and an idol isn't necessarily a statue or an image or something. We, we read um, you know, the first of the Ten Commandments, don't, don't worship any other idol or any other God than me. I guess the later commandment is don't have an idol. It's not um, just this thing, it's it's whatever we treasure here on earth instead of the living God. That's our idol. Whatever we treasure here instead of God is an idol. It's what we worship. It can be an idea, a person, anything. So really, we're choosing the strange, the forbidden, the immoral when we worship an idol, when we're, when we're choosing sin. Again, those words to describe that woman. But that's what we're doing when we have an idol. We're putting it in the place of the real, holy, loving, and living God. What's the answer? Most of you know the answer. The Lord Jesus made a way for each of us to be forgiven. Because we are all guilty. We are all guilty. Solomon is looking out for his son, saying, don't do this, it's going to hurt you now. But we are all guilty of sinning against God to deserve death. Only his death and resurrection can heal us. It frees us from the death that adultery and sin bring. But we know that when we believe, when we trust Jesus, he gives us his spirit. His spirit comes to live inside of us and he frees us even today from sin. We don't have to sin. We still sin. But he's given us the freedom today. He gives us a new heart that does not crave sin. When I sin, I'm trying to go to the Lord. And uh, I don't remember who said it. If it was Aaron who said we pray all the time. Man, I'm praying all the time. Lord, forgive me. 
man, again. Forgive me again and again. Not feeling bad. I rejoice in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm cleansed. I'm healed. I was talking to Ella last night, and I said, God forgives our sin, He forgives our iniquity, and He forgives our transgressions. I said, do you know what that is? She's kind of, sin is when we just mess up. We just sin. We're missing things. If I go 56 and a 55, I've sinned. It wasn't necessarily intentional. It happened. Iniquity is when we kind of know that we've sinned. And we're like, oops, I went 55. I know it. I know it happened. I saw it. Oops. But transgression is when we're like, 55, and watch this, I can go faster. He forgives our sin, our iniquities, our transgression. His blood covers everything when we are intentional about our sin. Now, does that mean we should be intentional? No way. He's given us a new spirit. We don't want to be intentional because God is living in us and he's changing us. He's given us that new heart. We're the bride of Christ. We're to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, from idolatry and from sin, especially adultery, so that we can be pure and spotless before him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that, Lord, that we can be clean, we can be healed, we can be forgiven, we can be new and alive because of who you are. Father, we thank you that you have set us free. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Receive that forgiveness that you've already given us. Lord, that we would live sinless. Uh, Lord, at least pursuing that. Thank you for your spirit, for your power. Thank you for the warnings you give us in your word that we can walk in lives that would please you and would encourage each other and, and encourage ourselves. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this. We pray that you continue to do a work in our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.